Well, we have a group that's uh, getting ready to head out here in just a moment uh, after this gathering. Uh, how many of you are going to Passion? Raise your hand. All right. That's a good group. All right. So good. glad you get to go. And uh, we'll be praying for you that God will show up there and uh, that he will do a great thing in your lives this coming week. So uh, I hope you guys will pray for them as they go. I, I tell you, one of the greatest things about being a student pastor for so many years was I had the privilege, and, and there's several other former youth pastors in the room, I, we had the privilege to go and see God do some radical changes in teenagers' lives. And those were some of the greatest moments in my Christian walk was to be able to take students, get them away from all the hustle and bustle of the world, and put them in, a, in a, an environment in which Jesus' name is uplifted, the Word of God taught and preached in such a way that it radically changed them. And I saw that over the years. And uh, what a joy that is. And I hope and pray the same will happen in your lives this coming week. Well, this is the time of year we all talk about change. Okay? How many of you know what I'm talking about? About change. Yeah. How many of you had a New Year's re resolution and have already broken it? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. All right. We're in our second day. You're doing good, I tell you. Uh, you know, it's amazing how this time of year we do that. And I, I've often wondered, why is it this time of year? And, and, of course, we would say it's the newness of the year. Jonathan even talked about this is our first gathering of 2022 with a new year brings new things, right? Uh, I think many of us are hoping at least that will take place from 2021 to 2022. To. But but with this comes this whole break, it seems. And, and think about it. For some of you, you haven't had to work maybe this past week, and it gives you time to reflect and think. And But these New Year's resolutions, I don't know about you, but I, I used to always have those. I, I'm a planner. I'm a thinker. I like to get things in order. And New Year's always represented that to me, at least for a decade. And then I just quit because it doesn't mean a whole lot, right? But, but think about it. There's so many of you... And and, and who, who do that. And I respect that. And I think you should. I think there needs to be periods of reflection, periods of change, and those type of things. Now, of course, we know when it comes to resolutions that the top one, of course, is to lose weight. Uh, and then there are some who would say it would be to be more organized, to, to spend less, save more, to enjoy life more, to, to work out more, and, uh, and eat better. And those have all been on my list at some point. But, but Christians, when you think about Christian resolutions, I've been reading a lot about those. And they say that many people who are younger people say that these are some of their top resolutions. And they poll Christians, those who profess to be Christians, to read the Bible more, to attend church more often, to lead someone to Christ, and also to, also to step up and serve more in the kingdom of God. And all these things are admirable and all these things are necessary. But think about it. Why is it that we have to come to a certain time of year to get there. Why can't we just do easily what God has commanded us to do in Scripture? Why is it that we sometimes will keep the best things or will take those things out of our life when we know that when they're central in our lives, they produce great results? Why is it that we never seem to get there? Why is it that these resolutions keep falling? Well, what I want to do today is introduce you to a new sermon series that will go on through the month of January. And if you're not hit between the eyes this morning, you will be in the weeks to come. Just hold on, okay? But, but we're going to look at this idea of first things first. 
And it's really the idea of setting the priorities for 2022. And that's really what I think the time of reflection should be. So if we're going to reflect, and it equals resolutions, I think we should reflect and set new priorities. I think priorities are key when it comes to living a life God's called us to live. But look at the series introduction there on your outline. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we read that Jesus grew in the same four areas we should grow to be fully mature. Just as he, we are expected to mature mentally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. We also find in Luke chapter, 20, uh, t- chapter 10, verse 27, that we should demonstrate our love for God in four areas. And it's really some of the same four areas. Now, where do we find this? Well, Luke 2, 52, and Jesus increased when it talked about him uh, being raised up. Of course, Luke chapter 2 is where the whole Christmas story comes from. And then it ends with this verse. And Jesus increased, or he matured in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then Luke 10, 27, so Jesus answered and said, they asked, what's the greatest commandment? That you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you begin to look at the ways that Jesus grew and you look at the ways that we are to love God, what you'll find is the fact that there's a certain expectation that we grow in certain areas of our lives. And today we're talking about maturing spiritually in favor with God. So look at the introduction for today. To mature spiritually requires us to abide in Jesus. The word abide means to remain, to dwell, to endure, to persevere, and even to stand firm. When used in this context, abiding literally means connecting to a source that sustains health. Of course, the source is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. While you're turning there, I want you to listen to this. So many people that I talk to over the years, they would say something like this. You know, the Christian life is so hard to live. And I think many of us would probably agree that that is true. We, we've tried in our own volition. We've tried in our own ways. We've made resolutions where we say we're going to read the Bible more. We're going to treat people better. Uh, we're going to try to lead someone to Christ. And really, when you think about that whole idea That's really all done in the power of what we can muster up. Well, the Bible says, however, that we can't do anything if we're not connected to the source which is found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said that easily. Now, in John chapters 13 through 15, Jesus is instructing his disciples on change. He's talking about changes that are about to come into their lives. So in, in chapter 13 of John, you have the washing of the feet. You, they just uh, had the Lord's Supper. He's washed their feet. Uh, there were some things that happened in that uh, whole scenario where they knew things were going to be completely different than they could ever imagine. For these disciples, for them to change in the area that God desired them to change, they would have to see things from a new perspective. And that's what you find in John chapters 13 through 15. So Jesus is there. So he's washing the disciples' feet. They, they, they raise up in the air, especially Peter, who says, no, you're not going to do this. This is not the right way to do this. We're your servants. You're, you're not our servant, but Jesus insisted. Again, what is he trying to do? 
change of perspective. In chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus talks about a new commandment of love. And then in John chapter 14, he's basically introducing the idea that there's a new way. He's giving them a perspective change. Then Jesus told his disciples in John chapters 14 and 16 that they are to abide in him, which literally means the way we know it also as to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, what is Jesus doing? He's changing their perspective. He's basically saying, you know this, but I tell you this. He says that a lot in the Gospels. But Jesus, what he's trying to bring is clarity into how to live for Christ, how to live in him, how to live with the Holy Spirit leading your life. And he's really talking about changes that must take place for that to happen. Paul tells us that we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul also wrote to us in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. That means my life before has been put to death. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Again, this is a different perspective. This is something unlike what we find in the Old Testament even. Jesus told his disciples later, and I will pray that the Father, to the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is basically saying, change is on the way. I'm leaving, but someone else is coming or something else is coming, that he may abide with you forever. And then in John chapter 15, it's, it is like Jesus now instructs them on how the change will come about. So if you were to say, okay, You've convinced me that we need to grow in certain areas of our lives. This is the time of year people make changes around the first part of the year and all that. Then how do I do it? If I can't just be more determined to read the Bible more, I can't be more determined to serve in the church. If you're saying that's not going to get me anywhere, what will get me somewhere? What will create the changes that are necessary for me to become more, more of what God desires? It's found in John chapter 15. And he, sh he shows that with, shares that with us. So, what does that look like? Well, look on your outline. The characteristics of abiding. Now, again, what we find all through, the, all through the New Testament, we find Jesus doing this, we find Paul doing this, is, is basically we're talking about the same thing, but it's being presented to us in different ways. So, here's some ways to think about this. If you're abiding in Christ... You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who's living through you, okay? So when Paul says be filled with the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to abide in Jesus. It's the same language. It's the same thing, okay? So there's something that's taking place. Now, to change is abiding, but what does it look like? Now, think about this. You have a plant. You have the main vine, the healthy branches, and even those things that become a little disconnected. My wife has plants all over the house. We, we live in a jungle. No, we don't. It's not that bad. But anyway, I don't know how she gets in the bathtub, I'll be honest with you. But anyway, but, but the, it's funny when you begin to look at these plants. And the other day I was noticing that some of the plants uh, look very healthy, except for when you look close enough and you see some of the branches are starting to die. And I noticed that the other day. And it's interesting that, that many times those, that death that we see is a picture of struggle. And how many of you have struggled this past year? I think we've all struggled, haven't we? And, and for some of us, it brings about a feeling of emptiness, 
There's this possible fear that consumes us. There's a lack of discipline in certain areas. There's, there's no victories. We feel, we feel like all around us are pictures of defeat. And there's some of us who would say, you know something? It's been a long time since I've really heard from God in my prayer life and through him speaking to me through his word. You see, what I would describe is what I would look at a plant and I would see all the health that's there, but I would see those branches there, just like many of you, that are dying off. And maybe that is a picture, more a picture of where you are spiritually. Life, the life-giving source is not getting to that branch, which really means that we're not abiding in Christ. Let me just say this. <clears throat> Let me put it in a nutshell before we go any further. When you begin to abide in Christ, here's, what, here's what's coming together, abiding in Christ. This is where change comes from. First of all, the Bible says when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, okay? I, I have no doubt in that. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in many of your lives. There's something new that takes place in our lives. Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. But then there's also the means of what we call prayer. Prayer is our communion with God. Prayer is when we lift our hearts to God. In the midst of prayer is also God's Word. To me, if you want to see change, these things must take place. If you want to see change spiritually, first of all, you must understand that you are to be filled with the Spirit of God, that you're not under the influences of the world. You're not under the influences of what people think about you and all that. Your influence is solely based on the Holy Spirit doing a work through you. And then when you come to your time of prayer, you must have prayer in God's Word. That is where the change comes from because here's what I'm convinced, and this is what I've seen my own life. Sometimes I don't know what needs to be changed. How many, how many of you are there? Sometimes I, I feel this disconnect or maybe that life-giving source is not coming through me and I feel like something is amiss. Many times we don't even know what needs to be changed, but guess who does? The Holy Spirit. And what will he use in our lives? When we come before God, lay our hearts open before God, when the word of God is there and it begins to speak to our hearts, the Bible says, and Jesus even says it in John chapter 14 and 16, the spirit of God will guide you. He'll lead you. He'll direct you. He'll show you what's truth, what's not truth. He will bring about those things that need to be changed in your life. Here's what I'm convinced of, and I've been there myself. I think many of you are sitting in this room and I believe, I really believe this with all my heart. Every one of you, you want things to change spiritually in your life. You want to draw more closer to God. You want to, you want to sense the purposes that he has for your life. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you feel like that disconnected branch where it's almost like things are becoming brittle and you don't feel like that life-giving source is there. You see, we got to get back to what it means to abide in him. So, let's look at what it looks like. Look on your outline. The one who abides walks in what's called regeneration. You say, why do you use the big words? Well, let me just say this. This is a very important big word when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to knowing what God desires for us. Now, I'm going to say something. You're going to say, duh, okay? Change never happens when things never change. Is that, is that pretty good? Okay. Um, it's not going to happen. Change will not happen without change happening. And for some of you, you're sitting here today, and change is not something that you really want to do. 
You've grown accustomed to certain things. You're comfortable with certain things. And you're sitting there and you're in it. And change is hard. How many of you admit change is hard? And by the way, you young people, let me just tell you this. The older you get, the harder change becomes. Isn't that true, old people? Isn't that true? Okay. All right. Yeah. It is. We become more settled in our ways and change is more difficult. But here's what we got to understand. The word regeneration literally means radical change. It's really the idea of being born again. It means rebirth. Rebirth. Now think about that. That's pretty radical when you're going to do a rebirth. Wouldn't you agree? All right, that's radical. That's the kind of change God desires for us. So what does this mean? Well, it has two parts. Number one, things must go. For some of you this morning, to be all that God desires you to be, there's some things that's got to go. And so let's begin with John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm genuine. I am the life-giving source. It's gonna, if it's coming to you, it's coming through me, is basically what he's saying here. And my father is the vine dresser. He's literally the, the farmer. He's the one that brought, brings in the fertilizer. He's the one that's tilled the land. He's the one who planted you in the kingdom. He did all that. And the source for all that comes through me. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He's basically saying there are certain things out there that you're not bearing fruit. There's no life-giving source coming through you. Guess what? He's going to take it away. Some think he's referring to the nation of Israel here. That's for a different conversation. But then he says, and every branch that bears fruit, this one has a life-giving force going through it. He prunes. He cuts away. How many of you have ever been in a pruning process with God before? Are they fun or what? They're tough, aren't they? But he's talking about those things that must be taken away. Why would you want to do that? That you may bear more fruit. So again, what's happening here? Jesus is the life-giving source. The vine dresser, the one who's overseeing the whole vineyard, is God himself, and he's placing those things in. But the life-giving source that's coming to us comes by way of Jesus. And what he's saying is sometimes in your life, there needs to be some pruning, some things that need to go away. Secondly, there are things that must be added. So basically what he's saying is, we li- some of us live in a, in a reality that could be better is what's being said. So we live in a reality and we're over here, we're doing our thing, maybe we feel comfortable doing those things, but sometimes God says, and you know something? Something's gotta change in your life. Something's gotta change. And, and, and that's where he basically says, things must go, but he doesn't just take things away, guess what else he does? He adds things. In John chapter 15, verse three, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now, let me tell you what he's talking about here. He's talking about salvation. Salvation has provided, has been provided. Meaning in you is everything you need to become all God desires you to be. The salvation that you have, what, you're planted in the vineyard, Okay. 
Jesus is the true life source. You're there. And what he's saying is everything necessary to be all that the vine dresser desires you to be is in you. Your salvation. Your salvation brought it about. What came with your salvation? A life-giving force began to live within you. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is now in you. And so what, what things must go? Well, for some of you, maybe you're holding on to a bitter spirit. Maybe there's a spirit of unforgiveness in you. Maybe there's something that began. And if we were to go and say, okay, let's look at representation of where your life is right now. There may be a lot of health around there, but all of a sudden there's this one branch just literally drying up. It becomes brittle. The leaves have burnt edges. It's because you're not where you need to be because you're, that life-giving source is being suffocated out because of a bitter spirit or whatever it may be. And then he says there's those things that must be added. And he's saying everything that needs to be added is in place to create in you something that's never been done before. And that's the idea of the rebirth. Next, the one who abides walks in communion. Walks in communion. What what is walking in communion? Walks in oneness with God. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Beautiful picture of communion. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. you got to be a part of the life-giving source. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then Jesus says this, I am the vine. You're the branches. From me comes a life-giving source into the branches. That's you. He who abides in me and I in him, there's going to be fruit that comes of that. There's going to be some good things that come from that. Those will be the things that will be added. How will they be added? The direction of the Holy Spirit through prayer and communion with God, understanding more about what God desires for us through his word. And all of a sudden, there's going to be fruit that comes about. Again, what is he talking about? He's talking about regeneration, but he's talking about oneness. He's talking about a change that takes place in you where people look at you and say, he's not the same person anymore. She doesn't react the way she used to react to things. There's something going on in their life. He's talking about this. For without me, you can do nothing. This includes change. Changes will not happen unless you're abiding in me. At least changes that really matter. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into a fire and they are burned. That means there's no use anymore. Okay, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now, how many of you have heard verses like this all through the Bible? Anything I want, he's bringing it. Not necessarily. How do you get to this point where what you desire, and by the way, that's the key, what you desire is what will be given to you. What you desire must come through the life-giving source of God, through Jesus. And so when my life aligns with him and his will, when I'm in communion with him, guess what? The things I desire will be what he desires. They'll be what I desire because it's so real to me. Let me tell you why most of you are feeling empty inside and have no joy and no peace. It's because everything about you is aligned with the world. 
is aligned with what the world can throw at you. Is aligned with how you perceive people, perceive you on social media and all these things. And it's creating a void and an emptiness like you just would not believe. But what he's saying is when you're connected to that true source of life, where, where everything is moving in the direction God has for you and desires for you, all of a sudden the greatest of fulfillment will take place in your life, even in the midst of the storms, even when things are going south, even when it gets as bad as it can get. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, they've made themselves home in your life. What you ask, what your desire, it shall be done for you. That's, that's total alignment is really what he's talking about this. Verse 8, by this, by this, this whole scenario of oneness, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. There's going to be all kinds of things that will happen in your life that will blow your mind. Listen, I, I tell you, how many of you, we, we've been doing a study on Peter on Wednesday nights. And there's one thing we found out about Peter. Peter was not the same in the Gospels as he was in the book of Acts. You cannot deny that. Read it. You, you, you just would not believe the difference. So what is the difference? What made the difference in Peter's life? The Holy Spirit of God came to indwell him. The Holy Spirit of God brought him to another. Changes that need to be changed in his life were radically changed when you read the book of Acts. Because he was living through the life-giving source of Jesus Christ. The very thing Jesus predicted that would happen in, in John's chapter 14 through 16 is a thing that's actually happening in his life, Peter's life, in the book of Acts. And it's an amazing life. Now, let me tell you about abiding. Abiding is not one of those things where it has a certain compartment in your life. When you're connected to the life-giving source that Jesus has, and by the way, when I mean that life-giving source, I mean that movement that moves you through sanctification, that movement that makes you more like Jesus, uh, that movement that brings you more of what God desires for your life. Here's what you got to understand. It's not compartmentalized in your life. It encompasses your whole life. Occasionally, I hear people say, yeah, um, uh, yeah, um, uh, man, I, I can't, here's how it shows up. I can't believe you lied at church the other day. What do you mean? I can't believe you lied. Lied at church? Yeah, I mean, great day. That's, that's, you don't do that there. No, no, we don't compartmentalize our lives when it comes to us being connected to the life-giving source. Listen, we're not different at work than we are in the church. We're, we're, we, it, it's, it becomes a part of who we are. When you talk about regeneration, when you're talking about oneness with God, you're talking about something that's never existed before until now. And it can't be compartmentalized where you live over here one way and you live over here in another. That's not true change. And everything Jesus talks about here in John chapter 15 is everything about something that is genuine. That's where he says true, the true vine. Everything is true. Next, the one who abides walks in affection. Look at verse 9 of chapter 15. It says, and when she, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, in, I'm on the wrong chapter. Here, John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. So here's what this means. When I'm connected to the life-giving source that comes through Jesus, he's the vine, I'm the branch, okay? And I'm there 
I'm not only abiding in that life-giving source, I'm abiding in his love. How many of you right now would say you have a love problem? Some of you, when you say that, yeah, I uh, got a love problem, first of all. Uh, don't have a girlfriend, don't have a boyfriend. Yeah, I'd say I have a love problem. No, no I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about a love problem where when love abides in you, there's a love that goes into every area of your life. You have a greater love for God. You have a greater love for those that God's placed in your life. You have a greater love for yourself. And I'm not talking about the selfish flesh part of it. But when you begin, begin to understand who you are in Christ, there's a love there that you've never experienced before. And it's totally different than the world because the Bible says his love is unconditional compared to what the world's is. It's conditional. And he's saying we can actually walk in affection. Next, the one who abides walks in submission. You see, the abiding life is not trying harder, but submitting to the will and ways of God. It's just me submitting. Okay, God, you, I've come to you in oneness. I've come to you. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I'm coming to you in prayer. I'm coming to offer myself to you. Show me in your word what needs to be changed, and I'll submit to it. And that is the amplification of that life-giving source that's coming from the vine. How do we know this? John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, if you submit to my words, you will abide in my love. That means that there will be a realness to that love, the reality of it, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, abiding in his love. He's saying, this is not, I'm doing it. Now you do it. And that's where the life-giving force is. Now, what are the benefits of abiding? The benefits of staying connected to the source. Here it is. Abiding facilitates discovery instead of discouragement. Now, getting into God's word and its wonder should encourage us, okay? Instead of falling into discouragement. What this means is when we come to the word of God, could there be sorrow attached to the word of God as we read it? Yeah, at times. I don't know about you. Sometimes, how many of you, the word of God steps on your toes? Hurts your feelings sometimes, doesn't it? But the end result is that time of discovery, the time of discovery that we find in Scripture. What does that look like? Look at John chapter 15. Let's look at verse 3 again. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. He's talking about regeneration. Now, what does this mean? Now that we've been born again, a rebirth, we have a whole new discovery that awaits us. We begin to discover a new possible life, who God is, what my life in Jesus now looks like. It's a whole new discovery, and we find it in his word. That's what he's saying in verse 3. Verse 15, listen, look at this. This is amazing. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. It implies growth in the relationship. We've gone from serving him Okay, which we indirectly, we do serve him, but he's saying there's a deeper meaning to it all. Now we're friends. Well, there's communion with us now. He's saying as a servant, there's not necessarily communion. You just do what you're told. And that kind of seems to be a reference of what we find in the Old Testament. But now I call you friend. Now there can be communion between us, a oneness between us. And that's what he's talking about. And then he says this. 
For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. He's basically saying, these are things that I've learned along the way that I'm teaching you about the father. And that comes by way of me. Next, abiding produces fruit instead of fable. Now, let me say this about abiding. There's a progression that's associated with it. Living the word, producing fruit, and a lot of times the, the whole thing that comes about this, what we read between the lines in these verses, is seeing necessary changes that need to take place in our life. How many of you, how many of you sitting here right now would say, for you to be closer to God in 2022, something's got to change? Wouldn't we admit there's probably something that needs to change? Maybe something we're, 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 we're put, put before our eyes that doesn't need to be there. Maybe it's just a, a, a spirit of disobedience. There's something he's asked us to do, and we, we're, st- we're taking 2021, and we're bringing our disobedience into 2022. But basically, it's that whole idea that there's a natural re- process in which God is bringing us to a point. Then there's those times where we don't want to deal with it, so we fake it. We fake it. And we act like we've dealt with it. Um, how, how many of you um, have come to church before and faked a smile? Yeah, I'm looking at you. You're faking it right now. You know something's wrong. You, you, listen, I've told you this before. There's times I've stood on this platform and Tina and I have been out of fellowship where I wouldn't even look this way. I've looked this way a couple times this, this morning. Because she sits over here. I'm glad she didn't mix it up and slide around. But anyway, <laughs> and, and so there's times where I'm out of fellowship with her. And you say, you mean you've been up there out of fellowship with her? I have. And she'll tell me, normally when I get through with the sermon, did you hear what you said this morning? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Playing the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? But, but the point is, there's times where we fake it. And, but you can't fake it with God. You can't fake it. I guarantee you there's a lot of times you don't even know that Tina and I are having a problem with one another. I can fake it if I have to. I can. Now, she won't let me fake it with her, but anyway. But here's the point. There's those things. So, so we, have, we, we go through this point where sometimes we fake there. The problem with many of us is you've been faking for a long time. The life-giving source is not really there because you've quenched it somewhere. And for us, if we could see the condition of you right now, there's some of you, I'm convinced, beautiful green leaves, life-giving forces flowing through you. You're demonstrating it. It's real. But let's face it, some of you have been faking it a long time. And that branch, you're brittle, not much life there. Let me, let me tell you when my branch has become brittle. You know, you know what happens to me? I don't have peace. I'm easily discouraged. I mean, it, 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 there's no joy. I've been there. You've been there. Some of you are there today. And we're talking about, instead of the fable, we need to be seeing the fruit. And so we pretend. But John chapter 15, verse 5 says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. There's going to be fruit that comes of that. It's going to be it's going, to, he's going to, it's going to be real. It's going to be real. The natural process will carry out. For without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can't do anything. 
It's almost like this glove. Let's just say this, this glove is you, okay? It represents you. And we'll get, maybe it even represents your salvation. And maybe it even represents you as a Christian and all that. And this glove is pretty much useless until what? You put life into it. So right now, it's pretty useless. Has there been times in my life where I've been useless, where I was nothing more than just a glove? I had the salvation. I had all. I could pretend from this angle. Man, until the glove, until life comes into the glove, there's nothing that's going to happen. Nothing will happen. What is that life-giving source? The Bible calls it being filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible says being indwelt with the Word of God. The Bible says I'm abiding in the, in, 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 the, in, the, in the vine. That's what all that means here. I mean, God can use me in powerful ways. And the, th- the point is, something's got to change. Instead of producing fables and lies, there's actual fruit. Next, abiding brings purpose instead of perplexity. In John chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, here it is again, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That means you're in so approximation of oneness with God, his word is just leading you, directing you that your desires become the already the desires God has. And you're in tune with that. And, you, and it's real to you. It's like a whole different reality. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. What's this saying? This whole journey of life-giving force came about because God initiated it. He's the vine dresser. He planted you. That was your salvation. And now there's something that comes from you that you, why would he do that? That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You know what that means? The fruit shall remain. That means a fulfilling life. That means I'm living what I was intended to live. And it's not just going to be something that's burned up one day. It's something that's going to last for eternity. Nothing greater than that. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Again, what is it coming back to? That communion with him, that oneness. And then abiding, look on your outline, invites joy instead of judgment. Many Christians that I know are not walking in joy. They're walking in judgment. How do I know that? I did it for over a decade. There was something in my life early in my, in my teenage years that lasted almost all the way through my 20s in which it seemed. Now, I knew I was a believer in Jesus. I knew the life-giving force was in me. I knew there were some things in there, but there was always something that was amiss, and I was walking under a cloud of judgment, and how did I perceive it? I, I perceived it as guilt and shame. You ever been there? Boy, that'll mess the branch up. That life-giving force is quenched. And many Christians are living there. In John 15, verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. For over a decade, I had no joy. I just, I saw myself as an object of guilt and shame. But the cross provided me what? Freedom from all that. I didn't understand who I was in Christ. I didn't understand what it meant for that life-giving source to, to flow through my life. I settled for something far less. Judgment of guilt and shame. He says that your joy may be full. Abiding nurtures love instead of longing. 
In John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Verse 13, greater love. He's saying true and profound love has no one, that has, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. These things I command you, that you love one another. You love one another. That it's not just the life-giving source that God brings into your life through Jesus and it just kind of stays there and your joy is full and all these things, but it spreads into bringing life to others. How many of you know people in your life that when you get around them, you feel, you feel that energy? You, feel, you, just, you just feel something. Now, can that be, can the world manufacture some of that? Yeah, sometimes charisma can be misled and can take you in different ways. But let me tell you this, though. There are those in which you genuinely can attest to what's going on in their life. And when you're around them, they just encourage your spirit. And there's just something about that. Wouldn't you like to be one of those people? That's what I think he's inviting us to be right here. Right here. That people know that you're in it for the long haul. That people know that you're just as willing to invest in your own life. That just as much as you're willing to invest in your own life and what God's doing, you're willing to invest in another person's life. That's what he's saying here. So the application. As followers of Jesus, we need to realize that healthy living involves maturing mentally, physically, relationally, and most of all, spiritually. If the enemy can defeat us, or bring lack of discipline in one of these areas, specifically spiritually, then he has a foothold in our lives. These footholds can keep us from producing the fruit God intends. I want to close with this quick story. Some of you have heard this story before. But how many of you know that change can be, can be painful? You know that, right? It can be painful. Matter of fact, let, let me tell you some, some pains you may deal with going into what we're talking about here. A lot of us have been so entrenched in the world and what the world thinks of us and what the world can provide us and the fact that we've been seeking our fulfillment and been seeking satisfaction from the world for so long that, that, that we can't comprehend what God desires for us over here. And for some of us, this is the part that's got to go. That our substance is not found, our satisfaction and our fulfillment is not found in this world. How many of you know it's fleeting? It's fleeting. It, it may for a moment be there, but it disappears as quickly as it comes. He's saying, I want something in your life that remains. I want something in your life that brings satisfaction to its fullest. And that's what Jesus was saying. I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly in a way you can never get from the world. I want to show you this, but for us to move from here to here, number one, it takes salvation, the initial regeneration of what God has for you. But here's, here's what it is. I think many Christians are living over here in this type of reality, and they're going to be more miserable than anyone else in the world because the world's meant for the world. The loss is meant for the loss, and this is the only way they can comprehend what the world has and, and what anything revolves around their life. But we have this. Something greater. Many of you are settling for far less. But even to go from there to here, with that life-giving force coming through us, requires change. Listen to this. An eagle can live up to 70 years. That blew my mind that the eagle could live that long. But listen to this. To reach this age, the eagle must make a difficult decision. 
In its 40s, its long and flexible talons can no longer grab its prey. Its long and sharp beak becomes bent to the point it becomes useless. The, e- the eagle is left with two choices, die or change. Something has to happen. Go, and, the, and the process of change is a painful process that lasts about five months. So the process requires that the eagle fly to a mountaintop to get away from predators. And there, the eagle knocks its beak against a rock until it falls off. Then it must pluck out its own talons. Think about that. I never knew this until several years back. Can you think of it? Could anything be more painful than that? Think about it. The beak's gone. The talons are gone. Can you think of a place in which the eagle would be more vulnerable than it is at that moment? During that five-month period where something is taking place. Now, that could very easily be to us like a pruning process. Feelings of vulnerability come at that time. If a predator were to come down, it would be taken. But there's a period of vulnerability. And let me just tell you this. A lot of change that's going to have to take place in our lives will come through a period of vulnerability. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel down and out. But God can bring you through it. Some of you are in this process right now. And then it says this. At this point, a new beak and talons begin to grow back. But guess what? That eagle doesn't know necessarily that it's growing back. For many of us, we think this is the way it's going to be forever. But there's growth that's taking place in the midst, in a place we never thought it could. A regeneration. After five months of this painful reprocess, the eagle then takes its flight of rebirth and can live as much as another 30 years. Change is needed for survival. Y'all, change is painful. And the older we get, the more we know it, don't we? But you know something? There's changes that need to take place in this room. And you know something? We have a God. Listen, he expects change. What's maturity? It's change. What's pruning? It's change. He desires that. He desires us to grow into that life source of who Jesus is, that his, his life may grow from our life and may come from our life. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for your goodness. And Father, I just have a burden for many of the, are in this room right now. Uh, Lord, I've been to that place of pruning. I've been to that place of radical change that had to take place in my life. And even today, I stand here knowing that there's some things in my life that need to be different in 2022. Some priorities that I let slip in 2021. Some excuses that I bought into that uh, I'm starting to see the fruit that comes from just listening to those excuses I've created in my own heart. Father, I pray for those that are sitting here today or standing here today, Lord, that you would just help them to realize you want so much more for them. And Lord, as we make our way into 2022, I pray that they won't settle for anything less than what you desire. And help them to realize that what you desire will only come from them abiding in you. That it will be a rebirth. That it will be walking in communion with you in such a way that our only satisfaction comes in those things that you desire. That then now we desire. 
Father, I just pray you'll just give us that in 2022. We thank you for the way you've spoken to our hearts here today. In Jesus' name, amen.